fast forward to the year that How the Hood Loves You Back was written, uh, a gentleman by the name of A-Train, who used to run the open mic at the New Eurekan, who happened to be from Chicago, um, and happened to be one of the first people who invited me to the New Eurekan, passed away. And I had just seen him that Friday, and I won the slam. At that moment, that grief had reached an all-time high. And I was reminded of a question that someone had asked me early on. And someone said, okay, you, what about Black rituals? And I'm like, dang, I don't. I was stumped. I didn't have a poem about that. And the anthropologists and, psych, and you know, sociologists in me was like, okay, well, there's rituals around marriage. There's rituals around birth. There's rituals around death. So how do I now tell the story of that ritual? It's how the hood loves you back. This is Community Dialogues, a program for frank discussion about race, racism, and racial justice. I'm Helena Rampersad. Our guest today is Stephen Willis, an educator and spoken word poet born and raised in the south side of Chicago. Stephen is a contributing writer to the Breakbeat Poets Anthology and is a three-time individual World Poetry Slam finalist and former resident poet of the Nyerikin Poets Cafe. Hi Stephen, thank you for joining us. You're currently in Iowa. What are you working on over there? I'm in my final year of getting my master's at the university uh, in theater. People always get heartbroken. I say, I'm getting my master's from it. And they're always like, oh, <laughs> yeah. we knew you could make it. We love you so much. And I'm like, no, 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 no. It's not, it's not in writing. It's, it's in, it's in theater. And it's always like, what? <laughs> um, so nice. But what made you want to do it in theater? You know, I was a spoken word poet. For the art of spoken word is a marriage between performance art and literary art. And so when I really did some soul searching and reflecting at that time in my life, I realized that my call was more towards the performance element of it than it was the writing. Um, and I, at that point, had already spent three years as a poetry educator, as a teaching artist in New York, working for a nonprofit called Urban Word NYC. And really finding a way to create poems and shape poems and create poetry pedagogy really for students of color and really for you know students who have no interest in poetry that to me was an mfa i felt like i learned more about the craft than i would in someone's contemporary workshop and so i said well you know how can i push forward in the in the other direction of being a performer you grew up in the south side of chicago you're very proud of it. But you've also, you know, like you said, you lived in other parts of the country. You lived in New York City. Now you're in Iowa. So how has your experience as a Black man in America been different in these different parts of the country? That, hmm, that's an interesting question. Um, I won't quantify it, with, quantify it with being a Black man in America, though everything I say will be that because I'm a Black man in America. So, um, but... I can specify it this way. I've been thinking about this recently. 
when I lived on the south side of Chicago, I felt like that world was very boxed in. You know, Chicago was a segregated American cities. Young, I realized that I had never gone past a certain point on the train. You know, anywhere past, uh, and I realized that that was probably particularly intentional. And so I sort of have this kind of sad opinion or this kind of visceral feeling of home and of my childhood of being very boxed in, of being very my neighborhood, my section, my people, my whatever. And I think when I moved to New York, obviously I was an adult and I went to school in Westchester County, but I was a poet in, on the Lower East Side. So I was constantly on the train back and forth. And there was this element of exploration that happened there that I connect to New York. You know, when, with that said, there was all, also this increased police presence. And then I moved to New York City. And I remember, you know, Chicago was known for being a very kind of violent place. And, and you know, I've had my share of run-ins. You know, I've, I've, I've been jumped a few times, right? And I remember thinking like, wow, I feel a lot safer in New York than I do at home. You know, there's so many police around here. There's this blinking light. There's a precinct in every neighborhood. And then I became aware like, oh, they're here for me. Like, I'm in this new gentrified Crown Heist neighborhood or this new gentrified Bed-Stuy neighborhood. This increased police presence is here directly to, I don't know, control me, to make sure that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. You know, the first time I ever got stopped and frisked was five steps away from where I lived in Brooklyn. It, it's, it's this, you know, I wanted to feel the sense of camaraderie and home, but in New York, but that wasn't that. And so then you move to Iowa and I live in Iowa City. So it's a city that's pretty much centered around the university. So you do have this new, de this new degree of safety, but I don't know if I would feel that same way if I didn't have a student ID. The degree of safety of being like, okay, if anything happens to me, I know the university will turn up. And that, that's scary. That's a scary thing to think of. It's almost like I, I, I'm safe. I'm a safe slave because I have a powerful master. I mean, and that's a terrible imagery, but that's, that's literally how it, it processes in my mind. You are obviously, you're an amazing writer and <laughs> you're an amazing performer. Mm. So how did you get involved with spoken word poetry, slam poetry? Yeah, so in Chicago, they have something called Louder Than a Bomb. And it's the largest teen poetry festival in the world. It is now all over the country. It's in a bunch of different American cities. And that was my first exposure to spoken word. It wasn't until my junior year of college where I kind of was feeling kind of lost and I made this decision that I said, okay, I would do 100 performances in a year. 2015 came along and I made the New York Slam poetry team. And I had also graduated college that year. And I just, I, I never expected to be, you know, a top 10 poet in the world, slam poet in the world. I never expected to be, you know, teaching it professionally. Who do you write for? Who do I write for? Wow. 
I write less for other people than I thought I did. And, and I, might be, I might be writing for myself. You know, you, you write the black experience, you know, to, to show black life, you know, to, to have that level of representation. I found myself writing to kind of not feel crazy, to show that I, I belonged somewhere. Um, so you have used Ebonics in your poetry before. Yeah. And you even have a poem called Ebonics 101. <laughs> so talk to me about how important it is for you, for you to use Ebonics in your work. I hear things the way they're said. If it's said in Ebonics, I'm going to write it. <laughs> like that I'm, I'm, if, if it's said with an incorrect tense, I'm, I'm going to write it. I, I, because I feel like it's so true and it's authentic to what it is. I mean, Ebonics 101 was undoubtedly an attempt for me to say, hey, uh, this is a legitimate language. This is, this is American Patois. This is not, this is not the, the language of the in, incorrect. This is not the language of the undesirables. This is not the language of someone who's unintelligent. And in telling the truth of the moment, that's what we said, and that's what it's, that's what it's gonna be. You know, people will come to me because I specialize in culturally responsive pedagogy. And they're like, um, you know, we, we want to put a lot of uh, African-American artists in for uh, poets and for Black History Month. You know, so we can normalize this work. You can normalize the work by just putting them in, <laughs> right? You, you, don't, you don't have to normalize the work by putting them in their month. That is now, that is not, that's diversity. That's not inclusion. My favorite poem of yours is How the Hood Loves You Back. Tell me about the moment you sat down and were like, this is really important. I need to write this poem. One, I reference a person Twig in the poem. Um, and that's my friend, Avery Williams, who I went to high school, middle school and high school with who was murdered six or seven minutes away from where we went to high school. And I had a lot of friends from, from high school um, pass away and, you know, for a multitude of reasons, you know, some cardiac arrest, some murder. And particularly from my class, there was also a young lady by the name of Jade Hannah, who was murdered by her boyfriend, her mother and her mother, her sister, and her were murdered by her boyfriend in this crazy, jealous rage. And I remember walking to school my senior year and passing her apartment and seeing the yellow tape and not knowing what was going on um, until I got to school and, and knowing I was really that close. I mean, I'm literally like, hmm, that's weird. So I was holding this grief in from losing classmates that I never really spoke about. Fast forward to the year that How the Hood Loves You Back was written, uh, a gentleman by the name of A-Train, who used to run the open mic at the New Eurekan, who happened to be from Chicago, um, and happened to be one of the first people who invited me to the New Eurekan, passed away. And I had just seen him that Friday, and I won the slam. At that moment, that grief had reached an all-time high. And 
I was reminded of a question that someone had asked me early on. And someone said, okay, you, what about black rituals? And I'm like, dang, I don't, I was stumped. I didn't have a poem about that. And the anthropologists and psych and, you know, sociologists in me was like, okay, well, there's rituals around marriage. There's rituals around birth. There's rituals around death. So how do I now tell the story of that ritual? It's how the hood loves you back. <laughs> like I cried the whole time because it was finally, finally coming out. I, I could also do it. I mean, it's been a while. It's <laughs> like Shakespeare and August Wilson things memorized, but I watched a group of men pull malt liquor in the cracked throat of pavement in the name of eulogy. Then packed the back of a stolen jalopy strapped with black market arsenal and intoxicated vengeance. I scanned the nightly news in anticipation of hearing gunshots protrude the silence of a Chicago summer night. They did. And I left the porch light on for them. Now, I'm not saying that I agreed with what they did. I'm just saying I've learned not to judge a people for how they grieve. Learn not to judge the hood for how it loves you back. Love from the hood. An honor only bestowed on those who showed the hood the most wavering of loyalties. I'm talking street niggas. Most literally from cradle to grave. Most literally from corner to coroner. Most literally niggas who hugged the block in their last moments gasping for air right before yellow takes makes a spectacle of their bodies sprawled on cement if the hood loves you she'll make a monument of this location they will bring teddy bears well wishes and heavy hearts this is now sacred ground to be renamed as memorial and landmark this is no longer jefferson avenue but where twig got shot for the next six nights you will see candles like this space holy until the wind blows, it's silent. Until the ember is blown in a direction of the someone's next casualty. If the hood loves you, she'll write it in tombstone text. A boy's face and childhood nickname will be written in script across the double XLYT. Ain't it funny how quickly death becomes fashionable? A testament to how tragic memories don't fade even in the washing machine. You can expect your closest of kin to type to your name in the most visible of places. Your birth date in Roman numeral will kiss the left side of your little sister's collarbone long before a boy ever does in grief we graffiti murals. That's how Biggie and Pac got faces in places that they never called home. I know boys who have bore the weight of Paul Barrow long before the rigors of college, but the most famous of us will have streets named in our honor. Martin Luther King Drive and Malcolm X Boulevard both debunk the myth of respectability and proves that no matter the politics, all black boys are due to die by bullets, but how can you complain? when the hood loves you, and we gonna keep loving you.
Long after the gravel has swallowed your portion of the 40, long after they've packed that car with vengeance, long after another boy's life is taken in retaliation of yours, continue in the cycle of trauma and street violence. Yes, y'all, the hood will love you enough to murder for you, but never enough to snitch. Yes, y'all, I know who did it. I was there when they bought the four fifth. Yes, y'all, I watched the news. I listened as they emptied the clip. And yes, y'all, I'll do it again. Yes, y'all, I'll do it again. I'm telling you, I will do it again because I miss my brother so much. But that don't mean that I agree with what they did. It just means I've learned not to judge a people for how they grieve. Learn not to judge the hood for how it loves you back. If I could go back and edit that poem, I would add one piece. I would add rights as another way we grieve. Because we love you so much, we burn it down. I missed one. When people listen to your work, what do you want them to take away? <sighs> but I think the best thing that you could do for a person is inspire them. I, I want people to leave with new artistic ideations, new artistic inclinations. Um, it's one of the reasons why I like teaching. Because if I could show you this poem and inspire a spark in you, I did my job that day, and which is a great compliment. But the greatest compliment I got is when someone goes, you know, I started performing because of you. Yes, yes, like that, that's it. You went to your first slam, you went to your whatever because you saw it. That touches the soul better than any accolade, better than any trophy, better than anything else is work that is inspired by me. Thank you, Stephen. <laughs> Thank you. This is great. Thank you to poet Stephen Willis from Chicago for sharing his story with us. This has been Community Dialogues. Our music is courtesy of bensound.com. I'm Helena Rampersad. Thanks for listening. <laughs>